Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh, and I want to thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad that you're listening in. At Valley View Friends Church, we are a congregation learning how to live as God's people, and we're concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Well, after our first week in this sermon series on biblical kindness, I got a call from one of the people in our congregation. They wanted to let me know about a show they had just watched on HGTV that featured a mural, a painting about kindness. Great, I said. I'll look into that. Later that same night, Betsy, my wife, was watching a community renovation show on HGTV that featured a town called LaGrange, LaGrange, Kentucky, and they are known as the kindness capital of Kentucky. Well, someone told me about it, and then my wife was watching it, so I figured I better pay attention. As we watched the show, the concept of that mural came up. It was a large, colorful painting on the side of a building that was the outline of the state of Kentucky, so they had the shape of Kentucky on the mural with the words, Be Kind, written over top. Now, where the letter I would appear in the word kind, there is instead the symbol of a person. So first, this mural is to be a photo opportunity. You can go and stand in front of the I and get your picture taken. But then the message is, is that you are needed in the word kind for kindness to happen. Kindness is supposed to start with you. There is no kindness without you in it. We're to take the place of that letter I. It's got, if we want real kindness, we've got to make it happen. We are a part of it. That's a good and needed message. And too often we're tempted to think of kindness as something that others need to get better at. Of course, we all think that we're kind. And it's others that have a problem with it. But the message there was kindness starts with me. It starts with you. Think less about how kind others are. And make sure that you yourself are in the word kind. I guess that's the message of that mural. And I'd like to add to this idea of kindness, starting with you and me. And I'd like to add this, that kindness must have me and you in it to work. But it also needs God. Without God, there can be no real kindness. And today, we're going to finish our series on biblical kindness, and we're going to finish with a famous scripture from Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where God asks his people to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly. Now, if we're honest about the scripture, you and I will find that these three commands require us to be right there in the middle of justice. Like that mural was asking us to be in the middle of the word kind, this command, these three commands are asking us to be in the middle of justice, in the middle of kindness, in the middle of humility. Perhaps, but more critically, the Bible is telling us that we can only have real justice, real kindness, and real humility when God joins us in these three commands. So, think of that kindness mural again in Kentucky. Yes, you need to be in the picture for kindness to really work, but so does God. Now, I want to remind you of a few of the ideas that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks about biblical kindness. And the first week, I talked about the shape, the form, 
the contour of biblical kindness, what it's lo- what it looks like, and that is to say that biblical kindness ultimately is Christ-shaped and has four attributes. Biblical kindness treats people with real value. They're made in the image of God. Secondly, biblical kindness is personal and present. Thirdly, biblical kindness is sacrificial. It has a cost to it. And fourthly, biblical kindness is restorative and redemptive. In the second week, I spoke about the Christian wearing kindness, being clothed in kindness, a kindness uniform. The Apostle Paul uses clothing language in many of his letters about putting on, uh, putting off the old and putting on the new. And I posed a question last week to you of what spiritual clothing are you wearing? Because we're all wearing spiritual clothing, whether it's godly or ungodly. Are you wearing the uniform of Christ? Or have you held on to some old dirty clothes of the old way of living? And so today, as I mentioned, we're going to dig into Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and finish our series on kindness, understanding that kindness is required of the people of God. We must be in it to have real kindness, but we can't be kind without God either. So let's read the text, Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the verse. That's how it reads. Now, likely you have just heard me read that verse, and you might be wondering, I didn't hear the word kindness. Where is it? I'll read it again, and you can hear that word of kindness missing. But it's not really missing. So, here's that verse again. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There are three commands in the text, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And hidden within that phrase, to love mercy, or rather it's not really hidden, we just have to know it's there in the Hebrew, is the word hesed, which is commonly understood as kindness. In fact, several English translations, good English translations, do render it as kindness. I'll read the same verse now in the English Standard Version. You can find it also in the New American Standard Bible or in the uh, New Revised Standard Version and several others. But here's the English Standard Version. It reads like this. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, a lot of people read this scripture and they grab onto it, loving its trinity of commands. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. In fact, this was a theme verse for my son's school this last year. He goes to a Christian school in our town. And since most people tend to gravitate towards those three commands, I want to begin by talking about them. So, let's go to that first one. Do justice. Boy, justice is needed in our world today. Certainly, I think many of us can feel that in light of what's happened down in Texas this last week. There's a deep yearning for justice. Do justice. That's quite a command. The Hebrew word behind that English word justice is mispat. We are to do mispat. And God does mispat. 
Miss Pot Justice is concerned with this mutual respect and having right, healthy social relationships. That is to say, Mishpat is about people not taking advantage of one another, but caring for one another. There being equality, being a right relationship. When we talk about it being mishpat between people, you might, you know, if you ever heard the phrase of somebody who's upset someone else and said, hey, are we good? Is all, are we all good? It's literally people being all good with one another. No animosity. No hurt feelings, no coercion, no oppression, no demeaning of one another. Mishpat, justice, is most often described as God taking up the cause of the widow, the orphan, the disadvantaged. It's about helping those who are the lesser in our societies. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17 says this, Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Jeremiah chapter 22 verse 3 says this, This is what the Lord says, Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Do not shed innocent blood in this place. In the New Testament letter to, uh, from James, you can find a verse that echoes this kind of justice. This verse is often thought of as the New Testament sister to Micah 6, 8. What God requires, only it's what we find in the book of James. James 1, 27 says this, Religion that God our Father accept as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Hopefully you can hear the echo of that Hebrew word mishpat in the book of James. God bringing justice to the one uh, who no one stands up for. God bringing justice to those whom, uh, who do not have the power to bring justice to themselves. Gary Haugen writes these words, The sin of injustice is defined in the Bible as the abuse of power. Abusing power by taking from others the good things that God intended for them, namely their life, their liberty, their dignity, or the fruits of their love or their labor. Now, here's the interesting thing about what God says in Micah 6.8. God says that you are to do justice. Do justice. What does that mean? I think it's important that God did not say love justice or walk justicely, if you can forgive my grammar there. He said do justice. Today, there are a lot of people that love justice. They're obsessed with justice. They're fixated on justice. That is to say, they have an idea in their mind of what is right. All of us have an idea of what's right. I mean, surely you've said it or you've heard someone say, oh, that's not right, or that's good, that's right. And then the problem is, is we go around making sure others are aligned with our idea of what is right. There's no shortage of people in our country, in our culture, telling other people what is right, coercing them into what is right, legislating what they believe to be right. That is not what God means when he says, do justice. So, firstly, do justice is about you and what you do. Do justice is not about telling others what to do. 
It's much easier to tell others that they are not correctly doing justice. Humans love to point to the problems of others, to complain about others, to be mad about others. We'd just rather complain to the manager and see if there's something wrong with ourselves. I like the motto of the American Christopher Society. Their motto is this, it's better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. Yes, certainly we should name injustice, but we must also move past naming it and produce warm, welcoming light that refreshes, welcomes, that points to Christ. Doing justice isn't about calling out others. It's about you, you acting rightly, living rightly. You living in right relationship with others. Secondly, and that's where I'm wanting to get at, doing justice is about living out mispot. Remember, mispot begins with mutual respect and being in right relationship with others. Mispot also emphasizes caring for the overlooked and for those who are taken advantage of. Mispot asks you to actively live well with others, not just to complain about others. So if you want to see justice flourish in your community, in your family, seek to have healthy, good relationships with everyone that you can, as far as it depends upon you. If you want to see justice flourish uh, in your community, listen to those whose voice is silenced in your community. So it's about living with right relationship as far as it depends on you with others. And it's also about giving voice and standing up for those who are seen as less in our community. Do justice. Let's talk about God's second command in Micah 6.8. Love kindness. Kindness is what this sermon series has been all about. So it's good that we're finally located in that phrase, that command, love kindness. We are to be a people who love kindness. Remember, Micah 6, 8 tells us that these three things are required of you and me by God. Kindness, justice, humility are required. They're not optional. We're supposed to live with them and live well with them. So we're to do justice and love kindness. Why on earth is there any difference in those two phrases? Why doesn't God say, love justice and do kindness? Actually, I would contend that order, love justice and do kindness, is exactly how our society is trying to function right now. People are obsessed with justice, and they're also doers of kindness. For some reason, God wants it arranged differently. Do justice, which we said was to live rightly with one another and love kindness. He wants it in that order, not the other way around. So what makes the difference? Well, loving justice, especially when we love seeing when we love seeing others live under justice, can lead to legalism. I obsess, I'm obsessed over what others are doing. Doing kindness instead of justice leads to unhealthy permissiveness. I've mentioned several times that our culture has exchanged kindness with the word nice. C.S. Lewis says it this way, Mercy, detached from justice, grows unmerciful. We are told by God to love kindness. Or as in the NIV and the King James Version uh, translation, they render the word mercy, we're to love mercy. Love kindness, love mercy. However you want to put that word in English, fine by me. The Hebrew word is hesed. 
And hesed is an important Hebrew word. It shows up 248 times in the Old Testament. Interestingly enough, the NIV only renders hesed as mercy six times. Most of the time, it's translated into the word love. And then second most often, it's translated as kindness by a long shot. Hesed is used to describe how people are to treat one another, but overwhelmingly, Hesed is used to describe God's action towards people, God's love for us, God's kindness towards us. Exodus chapter 20, verse 6 is the place where you'll find that word Hesed, one of many. It's right inside the Ten Commandments, and it's a description of God's Hesed, His steadfast love, and it reads like this. Because that, the verse just before that, we wrote, read about God's judgment in Exodus 20, verse 5. But following that, you read this. Instead of judgment, or in place of judgment, there is this. But showing love, hesed, to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God has love for us, mercy for us. Proverbs 21.21 says this, Whoever pursues righteousness and love, meaning hesed, finds life, prosperity, and honor. In many ways, Micah 6.8, in that verse, God is telling us to love kindness, love mercy, love steadfast love, to love love. Hesed is the kind of love that God possesses that moves God that God is. Hesed describes God saving people from disasters, sustaining life from... It describes God blessing us. Hesed describes God rescuing us from whatever we actually do deserve. It says relinquishment of judgment and justice. Hesed is kindness. It is love. It is mercy towards others, especially others who are weaker and who need help. Hesed is a rescue word. And this is why mercy fits so well when you want to translate hesed. This is why kindness fits so well when you want to translate that Hebrew word hesed. Christians should be very familiar with mercy, for we have received it from God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 says this, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And there's something else I want you to hear with the command to love kindness, to love mercy, to love hesed. God is hesed. We cannot know hesed, we cannot know kindness or love or mercy or love without God. And Jesus is mercy. You know, our culture likes to say that Jesus is love. And they don't know how deep those words really are. So, to love kindness means you must love God, love Jesus. Now, let's look at that final command, to walk humbly. So, justice is the Hebrew word mishpat. Kindness is from the word hesed. Humbly, it doesn't have the rich heritage in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language that mishpat and hesed have. It's, it's easy to talk about mishpat. It's easy to talk about hesed. Humbly, not so much. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann notes that this particular word for humility, which is tsane, uh, only shows up two places in the entire Old Testament. It's there in Micah 6, 8, walk humbly, and it's also in Proverbs 11, verse 2. 
So let's read Proverbs 11 too, because it does give us some insight and what we're to think about that humbleness, that humbly. Uh, so Proverbs 11 two says this, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Brueggemann sees how important the connection is between humility and wisdom. We often think of humility as demeaning ourselves, of lowering ourselves, of letting others walk all over us. But humility, he proposes, and I think he's right, is linked more closely with wisdom than anything else. Walking is the Christian journey with God. That's what we do. We walk with God. And it's to be done humbly, seeking wisdom. Walking with pride invites disgrace. Walking with humility invites wisdom. And Brueggemann contrasts that prideful walking, he calls it strutting, with humble walking. And he says this, Such prideful strutting bespeaks of arrogance, self-sufficiency, autonomy, the need to occupy the center stage, the sense that I am the only one on the set. Humble walking, however, understands that I'm not the center, I'm not the center of attention, I walk alongside of God. And I'd like to say, this is really important. This is where most people fail when it comes to living out Micah 6, 8. We read that verse and we say, ah, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. And then we fail. And that's the last thing I really want to talk about with this text. Doing justice loving kindness, and walking humbly can only be done when they are done with God. As most people read this verse and say, how wonderful, how beautiful. I can work on these three things. I can work on doing justice. I can work on loving kindness. I could work on walking humbly. I can do this. I can get better at this. I can, I can, I can. And it becomes about our efforts. But we cannot do these on our own. I have spoken at length about Micah 6, 8 without giving you any of the history of Micah. And you need to hear some of that history. Micah was a prophet when Isaiah was a prophet. He delivered messages against two Jewish capital cities because Israel had been divided in half into two nations. There was a nation in the south called Judah and its capital was Jerusalem. And there was a nation in the north called Israel, with its capital being Samaria. Now, part of the culmination of Micah's message was that God was finally done with that northern kingdom, and he had set the Assyrians to conquer Samaria, their capital city. The party was over. Justice was finally to be rendered. This was God's farewell to them. Micah chapter 6 is a court case, and it reads like one. If you go back to verse 1 and read it, it sounds like a court case. God begins by laying out the charges in verse 1, and then he makes his case on how he rescued Israel, and he brought them out of Egypt, and he rescued them from many different oppressors over their history, and they still failed in their covenant. Then when you get to Micah 6, uh, verses 6 and 7, you have Israel's response back to God. They're pleading to be spared from judgment. But listen to the words, because I'm going to read them to you in Micah 6 and 7. Um, the words are self-centered. You'll hear the word I a lot because they have lost the concept of having a relationship with God. It's all about them. There's a lot of arrogance and pride. And so, they're trying to figure out what they can do, what I can do to make this better. 
and they offer self-centered pleas that do not know the heart of God. So here, Micah 6, verses 6 and 7. You can hear the self-centeredness in the words. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Do you hear the self-centered language in the plea? It's all about I and me and my. What can I do? And will God even care what I do? I can offer burnt offerings. I can offer a thousand rams. I can offer 10,000 rivers of olive oil. I can offer my child. The plea is prideful. It is selfish. It is unmerciful. It doesn't know the heart of God. And too often you and I try to appeal to God with us at the center instead of God at the center. And we say, God, look what I've done for you. We might not offer a thousand rams, but perhaps we'll say, you see the merits of your 10,000 efforts and accomplishments. And we might say, I'm good. I'm worthy. I've done so much. Look how hard I work. I'd like to say that we don't sacrifice our children in our culture, but the truth is too often we do sacrifice our children. We sacrifice them for our reputations. We have dreams for our children, and we sacrifice our children for those dreams that we have for them. How ironic that is. And we sacrifice them, giving them over to earthly masters of consumerism and accomplishment. Too often we read Micah 6, 8 and say, I must do justice. I must love kindness, and I must walk humbly. Justice, kindness, and humility become the new self-centered sacrifices that we offer to God. But let's read Micah 6.8 one last time and listen for the ways that God is placed in the center of what is required of us. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6-7 was about what I think I should do, what I should offer. Micah 6-8 begins with, God has shown. God has done it. What has He shown? He has shown you what is good. Self-centered people and self-centered societies name their own justice. They name their own kindness, and they cannot walk humbly. And you and I cannot even know what is good without God. We can never have true justice or kindness without God. If you want to live in a way that God requires, you must live with God at your core. So it might be helpful to read those three, that trinity of requirements like this. Do justice with God. Love kindness with God. And walk humbly with God. God requires these three, but they are to be done with Him. So, as you've been listening, perhaps you've been listening to this and you've realized that you've spent a lot of time trying to please God instead of trying to be with God. Invite Him in. Invite Jesus into your life. Let Him be your Lord and Savior, but beyond letting Him be your Lord and Savior, invite Him to be with you in all things. You know, this week's been a heartbreaking week for our nation. 
And there's much to do to bring justice, to bring kindness, to bring humility to our communities. But if we want to do it right, it must be done with God. Any other effort is just a temporary patch on real, real healing. Let's pray together. Almighty God, you have created us in your own image. Grant us grace to contend fearlessly against evil and to make no peace with oppression. And help us to use our freedom rightly in the establishment of justice in our communities and among the nations. Help us not to do only what we think is right, but instead help us to walk closely with you so that when we do justice, when we love kindness, when we attempt to walk humbly, that we seek to do so only in your power. We pray this to the glory of your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. We pray this. Amen. Go with Jesus.